we will be focusing on a general theme of, of restoration. Restoration, the idea of restoring. Restoring. I saw on the back of a t-shirt a while back a couple of fellows walking into a place and on big letters they had, they had the words restorationist uh, specialist, restoration specialist is what they had on. And so as I got close to them, I asked them about their work and they, they were uh, in the business of restoring uh, things that have been really bad, badly damaged. Uh, storm damage, uh, water damage, fire damage, they were uh, the people, there's another place uh, I think called Surf Pro that does things. And if you look around, there's a lot of these businesses that are referred to as restoration specialists. Well, our Lord is in that business in a spiritual sense uh, to restore, to restore, to restore us, to restore things as they ought uh, to be. I'm so happy that Brother Hester picked out that song for our invitation song. I'd like to read from that song, the first verse, Bring Christ Your Broken Life. Notice the emphasis on uh, restoration. First verse, page uh, 605. Bring Christ your broken life so marred by sin. He will create anew and make whole again. Your empty, wasted years he will restore, and your iniquities remember no more. That's, that's the big ideal behind God and restoration. And I want us to see uh, four or five areas where this becomes prominent in Scripture. Four or five areas of studying uh, the ideal of restoration. And I appreciate you being here and being willing to look at a few Scriptures along uh, this line. Okay. You know, in Ecclesiastes 7.29, it says that God made man to be upright. But then the second part of the verse says, but man has sought out inventions. Or man has sought out schemes. God made us in his image. God made us upright. But we go astray. We go astray. And so we need to be restored. And things in regard to God and to life need to be restored. In the first place, there is the restoration of the sinner. There's the restoration of the sinner. As I said, mentioning going astray, Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Uh, the sinner, which includes everyone walking around, the sinner needs to be uh, restored. Let me refer you to Peter's sermon in Acts 3. Acts 3 and verse 19. We often read Peter's great sermon in Acts 2. But look at his sermon in Acts 3. And as he has again been preaching about our Lord, he comes to this in Acts 3 and 19. He says, repent and turn again that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And notice that promise there. Times of refreshing. Notice your sins may be blotted out. And times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Of course this is 
beautifully similar to Acts 2.38. Repent ye and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you line those two verses up side by side, you can see that Peter is telling us to repent and to be baptized. And part of that turning to God is the act of baptism. And in doing that, we receive forgiveness of sins, or in other words, a blotting out of our sins. And then we have that promise of restoration, that promise of refreshment uh, from the Lord. When we come into this world as a, as a little child, uh, we're innocent in God's sight. But then sin enters in and it mars all that up. All we like sheep, we go astray. And all, all of us sin comes short of the glory of God. But God wants to restore us. He wants to bring innocence to our life. We can't do that on our own, as you know. Peter is saying to repent and be baptized, repent and turn again, repent and be converted. Uh, but it's all based on Jesus and his life, as you know, and all the work that he did on the cross, the suffering for our sins, his burial, his resurrection, all that he is. But based on that, then we can turn away from the world and be immersed in Christ and have that refreshment uh, from the Lord. Notice a similar passage in Titus 3 and verse 5. Titus 3 and verse 5. He says concerning salvation, not by works of righteousness which we did ourselves, but through his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now notice as we submit to the Lord we get a washing of regeneration and we get a renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's very, very similar not only to what Peter says here in Acts 2.38 and Acts 3.19 but also similar to the new birth itself. We remember Jesus saying, except you be born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Or it's also similar to what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. And it says in the next verse that he may sanctify and cleanse the church by the washing of the water and through the word. And so these elements of obedience, we comply with those. We submit to the Lord in this way. And he brings us this restoration, this regeneration, this bringing back to life, this this refreshment that we need from the Lord. In the second place, there is the restoration of the child of God. There's the restoration of the child of God. The process we just mentioned there in those few verses is the process of becoming a child of God. Well, what about the restoration of a child of God? So the question comes, are you saying that once you're a child of God, you can sow sin as to be lost again. That's exactly what we're saying. It can happen. We listen to Paul's words in Galatians 5 verse 4. As he speaks to some of the churches in Galatia. He said to some of them. You have fallen from grace. Galatians 5 verse 4. You have fallen from grace. In a more personal note. Paul says this about himself. 1 Corinthians nine twenty-seven. He said he had to. He had to buffet his body daily. Or. He had to keep his body in subjection daily. 
lest he would sin and he himself also would be a castaway. And as Paul sought diligently and worked very diligently to make sure that Christians stay true to the faith, he himself had to examine himself to make sure he would not become a castaway. And so what about the restoration of a child of God? How is it that a child of God ends up becoming lost again? Well, a number of ways. It could be through just an improper desire, or it could be through a, a new love for the world. It could be uh, through an evil heart of unbelief. It could be just going into um, something that is um, not right, something that's, that's error, that is in opposition to the truth. It could be just an outright love of false teaching, or it could be just a momentary weakness. There's a lot of different avenues one can take to become lost again as a child of God. Let's notice these a little bit closer. It could be an improper desire. Acts chapter 8, 19 to 24, we remember in Samaria that Simon, the sorcerer, he was baptized like others, and he, was, he received forgiveness of sins, was added to the kingdom. But a little bit later, Simon was noticing how the apostles had the distinct ability to lay their hands on other people, and those other people would receive the Holy Spirit. And his old ways come back into his heart, and he began to desire that. He offered them money uh, to have this gift as well. And uh, Peter told him, he said, your money is going to perish with you. Repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness. Um, and so it, Peter had some very strong words for him. And so it could be that an improper desire... Or improper desires can lead us astray. But just a, a new love for the world, when we, come, when we come to Christ, we are saying goodbye to the world and its ways. Okay. Uh, but sometimes that, that love of the world comes back into our lives. Paul mentions a fellow in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10 by the name of Demas. He said, Demas has left us having loved this present world. When you look at 2 Peter 2 and verse 20, when we become Christians, we escape the pollutions of this world. But then it's very possible to be entangled therein again. And our last state then has become worse than our first. And so what about the restoration of the child of God? And how does this happen? How does the child of God end up being lost? Well, it could be improper desires. It could be a new love for the world. It could be that just unbelief, the temptation to not believe is strong in this old world. And Paul mentions this in Hebrews 3 and verse 12, where he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any, in, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now notice he's talking to brethren that would make them children of God. And he says... Um, there could be an evil heart of unbelief that, come, that comes um, swelling in your heart. And then he says it's very possible that this, this heart of unbelief can lead to you being, being one who departs from the living God. So you were once with God, now you have departed from Him. 
So it could be just an evil heart of unbelief. It could be, as James says in James 5, 19 and 20, just someone going into the error of their way. They, they were not cautious enough. They were led astray by, by false teaching or by someone close to them, and they find themselves away from the truth, James 5, 19 and 20. Peter mentions a group of people in 2 Peter 2 and verse 1 who have denied the master that bought them. 2 Peter 2. They denied the very master, that's Jesus, okay, that bought them. Now, you do a reverse of that thought, and it's wonderful in that you think about being bought with the blood of Jesus. He becomes your master. But when you turn away from him, you are denying the very one who went to the cross for you. And then Galatians 6 verse 1 mentions uh, some who are overtaken in a fault. This could be anything from just being uh, swept up in greed or swept up in lust and worldliness. Or it could be just a momentary weakness that takes them away uh, from the faith. Nonetheless, the good news is, the good news is there is a route back. There's a path back to God. It's not the same path. Years ago, I was... uh, sitting down having coffee with Wendell Logan. And Wendell said, you said something yesterday that really bugged me for a while. I said, well, let's have it. He said, said, you said there were two different gospel plans of salvation. I said, yes, sir. He said, said, I had to to go home and think about that. He says, but you're right, there is. There is a different plan of salvation. There's a plan of salvation for the sinner in the world who has never yet come to Jesus Christ. And of course that is for that sinner to hear the gospel and believe and repent, confess and be baptized. But what about the plan for someone to come back to the Lord after having become a child of God? Well, that's different. You don't don't have to be baptized again, but you do need to study again. Number one, you need to study Number two, the prayer is that that study would lead that person to repent. Like Peter told Simon there in Acts 8, 19 and 24. Repent of this, your wickedness. That is, turn away from this and pray to God. Pray to God. On that occasion, as you recall, Simon said to Peter, you pray for me. And we are sure that Peter did. We read in we read in James five sixteen, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We're sure that Peter was was glad to to sit down, kneel down, and pray with him. But as far as coming back to the Lord, the route is is pretty clear. First, you've got to study again. You've got to study again. And then that study will lead one to repent, turn away from whatever it is that is between them and God, and then confess this to God in prayer. As we read in 1 John 1 verse 9, after, right after John had said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But he also said, if we confess our sins, confess our sins to God in prayer, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We rejoice in the plan of salvation. We rejoice that anyone in the world can come to know Christ and the gospel. We also rejoice that if we fall away, we can find our way back to God. You see, God is a restoration specialist. He really is. 
Implied here, though, in coming back to God is faith. Faith is at the bottom of this. When someone wanders away from church, when someone wanders away from God, it is fundamentally a faith problem. That's why you, you start with a Bible study. It's a, Bible, a Bible study is needed first. And the encouragement to, you know, we miss you at church and we miss seeing you around and we hope things can get better. All of that is, is fine, but until a true Bible study is taking place, then the faith will not be restored. And so true repentance and confession and prayer then cannot happen uh, as well. And so there is the restoration of the child of God. In the third place, there is the restoration of our conscience. It's the restoration of our conscience. We want to have a good conscience. But it's entirely possible that our conscience can become corrupt. As Paul were, as Paul's words indicate in Titus 1 and verse 15, he says, some in his day, their minds and their consciences have become defiled. Their mind and their conscience have become defiled. Or, as Paul mentions in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 2, your conscience can become seared as with a hot iron. That is, it can become very hardened. Hardened. And along with that, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 17 to 19, that we can get to the point where we, we are past the ability to feel we're past the ability to, to empathize or sympathize. Okay. We're, we're, back, we're past the ability to have compassion. And so that can happen to our conscience. But thankfully, the good news is that God can restore our conscience. Notice Paul's words in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5. He says, the aim of our charge is... A pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. That is a sincere faith. Now, isn't that three great goals to have? A pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And this is to uh, proceed out of love. The aim of the charge is love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. The good news is God can restore our conscience. I'd like to show an example. Think about with me for a minute Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Zacchaeus in Luke 19. And you recall Jesus finding him in the sycamore tree, saying to him, Come down, for I'm coming to your house today. The next thing is, in that story, some of the Jews complained that Jesus is going into the house of a publican. Perhaps Zacchaeus heard these complaints, but he said to Jesus, he said, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And Lord, if I overtax anyone, I restore that four times. Folks, I think Zacchaeus here is a good example of a good conscience. 
And perhaps his conscience was defiled at one time. But here, what's he doing? What's he doing with Jesus? Well, it's either a pledge or it's a way of life for him. It's either a pledge that he's going to do better from this point on. Or this may be the policy he had already set up because of the influence of the Lord already. It doesn't really say in Luke 19. It doesn't really say. There is no call from Jesus for Zacchaeus to repent of anything. There is no confession of sin really from Zacchaeus. He just makes this statement here in verse 8, I think it is, Luke 19. He says, two things, Lord. I give half my goods. Think about that. I give half my goods to the poor. Has Zacchaeus's conscience been uh, impacted by the state, the plight of the poor in his day? It has. How many of us could say, I give half of my things to the poor? In Galatians 2.10, Paul says, we remember the poor. A good way of reflecting, thinking about our own conscience is what do we think about the poor? Notice he says, I give half my, they don't take it from me. It's not part of just a policy of those I work for. I give half my goods to the poor. And then he realizes he's in kind of a shaky business there of tax collecting. He says, whenever I find out I have overtaxed somebody, I restore that four times. I believe he has captured the idea of a good conscience. The Lord can restore You see, there are some things that simply do not belong to us. The Lord has possession of all things. Everything we see belongs to the Lord. And we must be aware that there are things that do not belong to us. I recall that in Genesis 39 when Joseph is resisting the the attacks of Potiphar's wife. He said, how can I do this great wickedness against God? And then he said, you are his wife. You're his wife. You're not my wife. I have have no right to be in this room with you in this state of mind. You are his wife. You see, Joseph had... A good conscience. And so the Lord can restore the sinner out of his sins. The Lord can restore a child of God back to himself. And the Lord can restore a good conscience. And in the fourth place, the Lord can can restore our zeal. There's the restoration of zeal. How important zeal is. Which is the favorite part of Psalm 23? For a lot of people, it's that little phrase, He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. David says something similar as he's confessing sin in Psalm 51, looking down to verses 10 to 12. 
He says, create in me, O Lord, a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You see, David was pleading. He could see he was missing something. He was missing the joy of salvation. And the Lord offered it uh, to him. What about our zeal? What about our zeal for the Lord? We mentioned those going astray. You know, a shepherd shows a great deal of zeal when one of his sheep goes astray. We read this from Matthew eighteen ten to 14. When Jesus asked the question, what think you if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, what does he do? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go into the mountains and search and search and search for that lost sheep? The Lord can restore our zeal. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16, For which cause we faint not, though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is renewed day by day. That renewal, that restoring can take place. This is good news. This idea of restoration is good news. Let's look at a couple of examples here of someone being very zealous. Let's think about the example of Jesus again with Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Notice, and I wonder this. Here's something I wonder. Why was Zacchaeus rushing to see Jesus? This is Luke 19. It could be that he had heard of how Jesus loved to befriend people like tax collectors and people who are generally known to be outcasts in society. Jesus loved to befriend them. Luke 15, 1 and 2 says those very things. Jesus is criticized for going and having supper, having meals, eating, sitting and eating with publicans and sinners. In Luke chapter 5, 27, when Jesus called Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, to his business, Jesus went to eat with Matthew, and Matthew had some associates there. And again, Jesus was roundly criticized for this, could it be that Zacchaeus is coming toward Jesus because Jesus had already befriended tax collectors? Could it be he already had heard of Jesus' reputation, Jesus' compassion toward those who are less fortunate? It could be that one of the key factors of us becoming more and more zealous is that we need to befriend more of those who will, no one else will befriend. In fact, I truly believe that this can help us be introduced to other people, many people, with the gospel. I think this brings opportunities to our front door. The more we reach out to those nobody else will reach out to, then like Jesus perhaps, uh, people will want to hear what we have to say. Notice also here in Luke 19 that Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. 
You know, likely Jesus has the miraculous insight going here and he knows his name, he knows all about him. But that's one key for us. If we're going to be zealous, we have to get to know what people are all about. That just happens by asking questions. You're not going to get anyone interested in the gospel if you go and tell them all about yourself. Tell them all about what you're doing, what you're concerned about, how your day is filled up and how you've been so busy. But if you ask them a bunch of questions about them, about that person, you'll be amazed at how much more interested they'll be in what you're doing religiously. Notice that Jesus gets right to the point. He gets right to the point. He says, come down from there. I'm going to your house today. Notice that Jesus wants to associate with him. He wants some time with him. And then he says, salvation has come to this house today. Jesus has come to talk to Zacchaeus more about salvation and about him being a son of Abraham. And then the tag on verse there in Luke 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. So look at the example of Jesus. And here he is, Luke 19. We, We studied Luke 19 this morning. Just a few verses later, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And eventually in just a few hours he will be offering himself on the cross. But that doesn't stop Jesus from looking out for the souls of other people. This is around Jericho. Jericho is about 17 miles from Jerusalem. Jesus did a lot of walking and talking and teaching and preaching. Even up to the very hours of the cross. Think about another example of of zeal. Galatians 6 and verse 1. Paul says, brothers, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual. Now Galatians 5 talks about being spiritual. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all parts of being spiritual. But basically, Paul is saying in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, Follow the Spirit's leading through the Word of God. Do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the Lord Himself, the Spirit, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will be your leader in life. Now part of the Spirit's leadership in your life is that we look after those, we look for those, we go and find those who have been overtaken in the fault. Notice what he says in Galatians 6 verse 1. Brethren, you who are spiritual... Concerning if a brother has been overtaken in the fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself, lest also you be tempted. Now, there are basically here, I would say, three attitudes or three characteristics when we try to bring someone back. The first would be patience. Patience. We would need patience if we're going to bring somebody back. When we hear of someone going into sin, we cannot be impulsive. We can't right away take to the gossip, the gossip lines. We can't go the way of talking about that person. Rather, we need to be patient and say to ourselves, I'm going to try to find a time and opportunity to say something about, 
to say something to him, her, to help them. If they have a struggle here, I want to try to help them. So patience is the first virtue here from Galatians 1 and verse 6. And then we would certainly want to think about being gentle. Gentle. It could very well be, it seems the language is pointing to this, that this is a person in Galatians 6 verse 1 who hasn't completely just decided that the world is for me. But this is a person who in a moment of weakness was overtaken by another weakness. And so he's discouraged or she's discouraged and she hasn't been around in a while. And so we go with that idea in mind, to be gentle, gentle and not harsh, and also to be humble and not condescending. So these three virtues, I think, helps to be patient, to be gentle, and to be humble, and certainly never condescending, as if we've got it all figured out and you are not up to par. Okay. And so notice here the zeal that is expected here in Galatians 6 and verse There's the restoration of the sinner. There's the restoration of the child of God. There's the restoration of a good conscience. And the restoration of zeal uh, that is so needed in our lives. Let me mention one other and then we'll close. And that is the restoration of family. Because Jesus said in Matthew 19 beginning in verse 3. As he was asked about marriage and divorce. He said, have you not read... Now notice those very important words. Parents, grandparents, the, one of the first responsibilities we have is teaching our children to read. That's first. That's, that's one of the very first things. Everything else is going to revolve around the idea of reading, comprehending. So as, as early as you can start, you start reading to them. The reason is the way of righteousness is found in the Word of God. So Jesus said, have you not read? Now notice he's, he's going to take them back to something they already know. They've just gotten away from it. Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them, made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they're no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. This is is the words of our our Lord Jesus. He says, says, we can restore marriage. We can restore family life. But you must go back uh, to the beginning. And that's our plea to the world. I know one thing that if we will take this plea of restoring the family, wherever we go, with the appropriate Bible verses to back it up, then people will want to know more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The final restoration that I'll mention, and we may make a part two out of this at some point because there's so much more material that can be shared. What about Genesis 22 as we close and as we get ready? All of this has been about Genesis 22. Everything you talk about in regard to restoration is about Genesis 22. 
Because Genesis 22 mentions some very important persons and ideas. There, mentioned in Genesis 22, 1 and 2, is the throne of God. And there, at the throne, is God and the Lamb. Of course, is Jesus. Flowing out of that throne is the river of life. And on either side of that river is the tree of life. You see, what was lost in the Garden of Eden will be all restored back to us in heaven in a spiritual sense. God has been working for a very long time for us to come to heaven to restore us to where we need to be and then to bring us home to live with him forever. It may be that going through this first day of the week, what a good day it has been, that you've been reflecting on songs, prayers, lessons, Bible Bible verses. It may be there's been something that has been tugging at your heart. If we can take this time in the next few minutes and study and pray with you or even study and pray after our dismissal this evening, this evening we'll be glad uh, to, to do that as always. Right now we're going to sing this song, Bring Christ Your Broken Life. And if we can help assist someone in gospel obedience or help you come back to where you want to be with the Lord, then please make that known right now as we stand, as we sing.